Thanks for watching this episode of Turning to Him. I invite you to just take a few seconds right now at the beginning and subscribe to this channel so that you can get more videos like this in your feed. Thanks again. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Turning to Him. I am here with Noelle McBride, who has graciously taken time out of her very busy schedule to sit down and talk with us about just kind of her life story. Noelle, how are you doing? Good. Thank you so much for asking me to be here, Zach. I'm excited. I really appreciate it. I'm excited to to hear your story and get to know you a little bit better. Yeah. Um, I mean, that being said, give us a 15 second rundown of of your life and and kind of some of the things that you'd like to share. Well, um, 15 seconds. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, do, I'll do my best. Um, I am a mother of six children. Um, I'm currently in a blended family. So I got married when I was 20 years old and was sealed in the Portland, Oregon temple. And from that marriage, I have three children. And then I went through an unexpected and very difficult divorce and then um, spent a couple of years being single and then ended up meeting my current husband um, online, which is just such a, a strange way to meet someone, but it worked for us. So we met online um, and we dated for quite a while. And then we were sealed in the Columbia River Temple. And we've been married now for eight years. And he um, is a widower. And so he has three children. And so we raised our six children together. They were teenagers when we blended our households. So that was really a unique situation. And we are now just with one left at home who is a senior, which is really exciting. And um, I have lived in Washington state most of my life and I am a serious Pacific Northwest kind of girl. I love the rain and I love the trees and I love the forest and the mountain and the ocean. And thankfully I get to live close to all of them. So that's a little that's bit about fantastic. me. Fantastic. Yeah. Serious Pacific Northwest. I think I could do all of that, but the rain, I just, I can't yeah. handle the rain. Ugh, it's not, it's not a nice drizzle. It's not a, it's not a bad like okay. downpour like you get from <laughs> the other states. It's just like this nice drizzle. And then the, the trick is blankets and a fire and hot cocoa or apple cider or something that you enjoy drinking. And then like, uh, yeah, I have a whole, a whole science to getting through <laughs> the rainy season here, but yeah, I it's love good. it. Good. Well, maybe that's been my problem. I just don't have the right equipment. I don't have the right strategy. There you go. <laughs> we'll work on that. Um, okay. So, I mean, that, that's, that's quite a summary and you've had a lot of experiences, yeah. which is fantastic. Absolutely. Um, take us back to what was life like growing up for you? Yeah, I actually grew up a member of the church. Um, okay. My mom was a convert and my dad um, was not active um, as he grew up. Uh, and he and my mom got married and um, my mom she would describe um, her experience of getting to sit down with the missionaries um, as hearing something that she's always known. Like everything that they taught her, she's like, I, I've heard this before. I know this. And for her, uh, her testimony just was immediate and firm and strong. And it's really, it was very fun to get to talk with both of them about it because then my dad was like, He'd been raised a member, but he'd never read the Book of Mormon. And so he was like, 
I better read this thing because my wife is, is, you know, joining the church and I need to know if this is true for myself. And so he read the book of Mormon and got his own testimony. And, and then they were sealed um, a couple years after she was baptized at that time, the only, the closest temple was the salt Lake temple. So they had to travel from Washington to salt Lake. So, yeah. Okay. So when they got married, she was not a member of the church, but he was. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, really, you could say that they kind of got converted together, which is which yeah. is a great, you know, by unifying experience. Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. And then my, my mom and dad, I mean, they just, they were very open about, you know, the struggles that they had had, you know, um, my dad had served in the military and so sometimes you um, develop habits like smoking and drinking and all those sorts of things. So those were things that he struggled with. Um, and but before us kids were ever born, those were things that he worked on and and overcame. And um, so I grew up in a home. Um, I have four. I'm one of four siblings and the oldest daughter. And um, we had a happy household. And my parents worked hard to teach us the gospel, which I'm grateful for. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that's kind of the foundation. Um, at, at some point you leave home, go to college, go to, how, yeah. how does that work? Um, so interestingly enough, my, I grew up over where near where I live right now. Um, and my dad, uh, the end of my senior year, he got a job tra- transfer. And so they moved the whole entire family to Eastern Washington. And instead of going with them, I actually went to Utah and I lived with my grandfather for a summer and I actually enrolled to go to school and got a job there and was planning on going to school there. And my family was living in Eastern Washington. And, um, my brother, who is my older brother, um, he called me up one day out of the blue and he's like, I know you've got all these plans. You've got everything in place, but have you actually prayed about living in Eastern Washington? And I was like, no, have you, have you seen Eastern Washington? It's a desert. Like no one would choose to live there <laughs> like compared to like the lush green, you know, that I was used to and had been raised with. And you have to understand our family went to the ocean every single summer. So that was like our family trip. And so the idea of going over where it's over a hundred degrees and you, there's no mountains, there's the trees that are there are only planted, you know, and um, everything is designed to kill you. It's not really <laughs> like... <laughs> Um, like, I'm not even kidding the bugs, the, even, (laughs) even the weeds, they have something called tackweed or goat's heads. And they're like this long and they're super sharp. Like if you ride your bike, you immediately get a flat tire. You have to have like a special stuff in it anyway. So I'm like, no one would choose to live over there. And I I say all this little tongue in cheek because I lived in Eastern Washington for 17 years. I loved it. It, it was beautiful. I learned to love the desert. So, um, but anyway, that was a lot of my, like, I can't possibly live over there. Right. But, um, anyway, my brother challenged me to pray about it. And I was super mad at him because I think in the back of my head, I already knew the answer. So I I did, I prayed about it and I felt very impressed that I needed to return back to Washington and maybe look at going to school there and um, living from home and um, for a little while and kind of transitioning. So I moved back home and that was hard. You know, my family was getting used to being in a new ward and a new stake and my, um, and I had two younger sisters. I have two younger sisters and they immediately, I mean, 
everybody just loved living in Eastern Washington. Um, and I went to the YSA ward, which is where I met um, my kid's father and um, who, the, the man who ended up being my children's father. And so um, we dated for a very short period of time um, from the time that we met and the time we got married was about 12 weeks. Okay. So it was very fast. Yep. Yep. Um, I was actually really prayerful about this. This is something, um, and I, I've written a book about my experiences. Um, I'm, I mentioned earlier, I've been through a divorce. And so I've written a book about that. And one of the things that I talk about in my book is um, I really fasted and prayed about marrying my first husband. It was not something that I entered into lightly. We had a very short courtship, but um, I stand by that decision. I, I don't think that I made a mistake. I have three amazing, beautiful children that came from that union. And I will always be grateful for that. And I learned invaluable lessons about myself and about others. And um, I feel like that was um, the cornerstone of like um, my divorce for me. It was unexpected, but it it helped me to... I've always had a testimony of the savior, Jesus Christ. Like, um, you know, all growing up, I had no problem sharing the gospel. I had even a couple of friends who were baptized when I was in high school. And, and so, um, for me, the gospel has always been an integral part of my, um, my life experience. So as I went through my divorce, um, one of the things that was surprising for me was how I, I felt unanchored. Um, and I kind of mentioned this to you before and, um, just all of a sudden, I, I felt like I was on shifting sand because everything that I had planned for in my life, right. My eternal plan was shifting and, and it wasn't, it wasn't all fully up to me anymore. And so, um, I really had to, um, get on my knees and humble myself and really cultivate a relationship with the Lord. Whereas I felt like maybe if I had, um, and, and I think this is categorized by growth, right? Like this isn't the wrong way to worship or to have faith in the savior. I think that it just shows that we can grow into it. So I would say that my early faith was based a lot on what I did and, yeah. um, and, and how I, everything looked from the outside, right? Okay. Let me prove to the Lord how much I, um, what it, what a good, disciple I am by all the things that I do, right? The way that I'm a mother, the way that I'm a wife, the way that I fulfill my callings, the way that I show up to church, all those different things. It was really based on doing everything. And when I went through my divorce, like I shared, it it was this, I suddenly felt on shifting sand. And I realized that this extreme focus on everything that I had been doing um, had maybe developed a little bit into like a perfectionism tendency where I wanted everything to be perfect. And then also everything had to be in my control. And with okay. when you go through a really difficult circumstance, suddenly things are not in your control, right? And yeah. Um, and so I had to rely more fully on my uh, relationship with my savior and also to develop personal revelation to a level that I had never developed it before. And so my relationship shifted so much from doing to who was I becoming. And that was like, it just opened floodgates for me and, um, and was an, is it, it just opened the gospel in a way that I had never, ever seen it before lived. And I, I understood because the gospel was hard. Like sometimes it can be hard to live. Right. But yes. I think that 
when it is hard is when we're focused on the doing aspect instead of who we're becoming in the process. So the more that I focused on who I was becoming and if that person was in alignment with who my savior wanted me to become, the more joy I felt in my life and the more um, joy I felt in living the gospel. What do you think um, helped you transition? Well, you talked about what helped you transition, but what are some indicators for you that you are focused on what you're becoming as opposed to your focus on what you're doing? Oh, that's a great question. So uh, I'm going to reference my book again. And just okay. for your listeners, the that's, name of my book yeah, say, yep. yeah, is Beauty for Ashes, Divorce in the Latter-day Saint Woman. So, um, and you can get it everywhere. It's in, it's on Amazon. It's at Barnes and Noble target. It's at Deseret book. So it's very easily accessible. Um, and so I talk about this in my book and, uh, I became what I call a ruthless editor of my life. So I asked myself four questions. The, the four questions were, is this bringing me closer to the savior? That was the first question that I asked. Is, um, this something that I can fill the spirit with? And, um, let's see, who am I becoming and what am I learning? Those are the four questions that I always ask. So who am I becoming and what am I learning? So those are the four questions that I would ask myself. And then I went through everything in my life. Like, so I, um, I went through my music. I went through my books. I, I looked at my relationships. I looked at all these different things. And this was after my divorce that I went through this process, right? This was not, um, this wasn't part of my um, experience going through my divorce, but this was after, as I tried to put my life back together and kind of um, have some, uh, a stronger foundation. So as I asked myself these questions and it helped me to eliminate anything in my life that wasn't drawing me closer to the spirit and um, helping me to become and feel the love of the Lord. Yeah. I like that through this process of reinvention, um, it sounds like though you were very careful to objectively look at everything and, and perhaps I'm, I'm putting some words in your mouth. So correct me if I'm wrong, but there were some things in your life that were great and you decided to keep those things. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of times, sometimes when we go through a, a catastrophic event like this, especially a divorce, because that is so tied to, like you said earlier, our eternal plan. Right. If there's a temptation to scrap all of it. Yeah. Well, and especially I found that if you're 40 and over in, which I just kind of gave away my age right there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But when you're in that category, it seems like, especially when I talk to other women that the plan in young women's that we were taught was you marry an RM, you get married in the temple and you have children and you live happily ever after. And that's your, and that is your trajectory. So when you've done all of those things, because I had done all those things, I married an RM, I got married in the temple, I had children, I was fulfilling callings and, um, and I was doing my best to live a good and happy life. And so um, when that happens, you're like, wait a minute, I did the plan. I did what I was told to do. So how is this? So then this is where the adversary is very clever because 
he very quickly will slide in there and be like, the church failed you. The yeah. gospel can't be true because if the gospel were true, then you wouldn't have this outcome. So see how the gospel has failed you. And as I went through my divorce, that's really what I saw as I saw really two pathways forward. One pathway was staying in the church and the other was going out of the church. And many more people were leaving the church. For me, I had a strong enough testimony to know that the answers that I was going to find were going to be in the gospel, but I knew instinctively, and I was very intentional about it. And partly, I think I laid a good foundation of counseling. I, before my divorce happened, I'd been in counseling for three years. And so I had a really good counselor. And then also I had done a 12 step program because I had an eating disorder. And um, so I, I had to work on that for myself. And so I had this foundation of the 12 step program. And also I had a really good counselor. And I think that those things allowed me to kind of look at things, like you said, a little bit more objectively mm -hmm. to keep things mm -hmm. that, that I knew brought me peace and joy and happiness. I knew that my covenants were where I was going to find my strength, but I just wanted to deepen that connection that I had and understand more fully how it worked in my life. So, and you made the, the, um, comment about, you know, um, when you go through something like this, it's like kind of almost being reborn. It, it is, you become a new creature in Christ. This right. is what scriptures talk about, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I yeah. love that. And you answered it so thoroughly, but it's worth rehashing. It seems like at, at a crisis moment, there is always a choice. I am yeah. either going to anchor <laughs> on the savior or I'm going to throw it away. Right. And I agree with you. It feels like, I don't know any statistics, but it feels like a lot of people decide to throw away the gospel because yeah. quote, it failed them. Right. Right. And I love how you said that, um, again, I forgive me for, for misquoting okay. you right in front of your face, but <laughs> that basically survival was in the covenants. That's yeah. how you were going to endure this. And right. I also think that that ties into what you, uh, alluded to earlier of, look, there's a difference between making covenants and keeping covenants. Right. Both are important. Yeah. You still have to make, even if you're keeping the covenant, if you haven't made it, well, that is an essential prescription that Christ has given us. That That is part of the right. plan. We still need to make those covenants. But making them is not what endures. It's keeping them. Right. That's, that's where I think we go from, what am I doing to what am I becoming? Yes. And the thing that I think is so exciting that I don't know that everyone realizes is that the Savior doesn't desire just to um, save us by allowing us to repent and having been crucified and and dying and then being resurre resurrected. Like it is not enough for him to give us just eternal life. He desires to have a covenantal relationship with us. And through his covenantal relationship, he is able to do so much more for us. And I, that's, that's something that I, I did not understand until I went through this experience of my divorce and, and really deepened this covenantal relationship with the Lord. And then the beautiful thing is that hasn't stopped growing. That has just continued and continued. I mean, I'm a decade out and I still, I just, it, it's the most exciting and empowering thing in my life is my covenants. Okay. 
So you became a a relentless editor of your life. Yeah, ruthless. Ruthless, ruthless, not <laughs> relentless. <laughs> yeah. A ruthless editor of your life focusing on two uh, four questions. Yep. Uh, remind us of what those questions were that worked for you. So, is this bringing me closer to the Savior, Jesus Christ? Yes. Am I able to feel an increase of the spirit? And what am I learning? And who um who am I becoming? That's the that's the last one. Yeah. What am I learning and who am I becoming? Okay. Yep. At any point in this process, did you feel anger? Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> so much. So much. <laughs> okay. Walk us through it because because that can take somebody alive. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um <clears throat> yeah, I mean <laughs> yes, and that? having to work through yeah, yeah. So and having to work through forgiveness and setting boundaries and all those different things, there was a lot. I mean, and just to be very transparent, Zach, I had some unique circumstances with my divorce. My former husband and I um, were in the same ward for an extended period of time. After the divorce. And um after the divorce. And okay. then he um and as soon as our divorce was final. Um, he was at church with another woman, mm -hmm. which was very difficult. And then shortly after they became engaged. So I'm single. Yes. He's still in this ward. He's now engaged to someone else. And, you know, and my children are going back and forth. There was a lot of anger. <laughs> there was a yeah. lot of, um, a lot of heartache, a lot of heartache. I had a really amazing Bishop. Um, who was very, very compassionate and um, was tried very hard to help both of us um, <clears throat> and gave my former husband the option of attending a different ward, um, the ward that he lived within, but he chose to um, stay and continue to go in the ward because he wanted to be in that ward with the children. So, um, so are you both, I mean, you're both in the same ward, but are you both attending sacrament meeting together? Yes. Yes. I don't want to get you off track, but I feel like no, that's okay. that is a, no, talk to me about your commitment level to the gospel. Yeah. Not yeah. a lot of people would go, would continue to attend sacrameting. There would be a lot of people. I feel like there would be a lot of people who say, Hey, look, I feel the spirit much more in the mountains yeah. than in that building right now. So educate us on that. Well, for me, I needed to be able to partake of the sacrament weekly. And I was in a calling. And so I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to rob myself of those blessings um, because of the circumstances. It was, it was excruciating. And just to be, I mean, my bishop put in place a couple of things to help me. And then I'll share with you a funny story that was just, just magnifies the, the, how difficult it was. Um, my bishop was very kind. He assigned sisters to me that would walk because my my former husband loved to talk to me. Like he would catch me and okay. chat with me. And that was hard. Like you're yeah. with your your new person and you're wanting to talk with me. And like it was, it was just it was a difficult thing. So my bishop assigned um sisters to walk with me into Sunday school, to sit next to me in Sunday school, to sit next to me in Relief Society. Like, so they just, they, and they were my ministering sisters or visiting teachers at that time. 
Yes. So that was really terrific. And that was really, really helpful. And so I did this for about three months, but there was a situation that was just like, okay, I can't, I can't keep doing this. So I came to church. I had all three of my kids with me and I was one, running just a little bit late um, as a typical, you know, single mom. Sure, and sure. Here we go. And so the, as I stood at the back um, and I looked at where we could sit and you, you people kind of have a normal place that they sit. Yes. Right. <laughs> yes. So, so I'm like, Oh good. Our pew is open. Right. And so not that it's really our pew, but so as I'm taking my boys up there and they're young, right. But here we are, we're going up there. And um, I have a very good friend who I had a very good friend who was um, the chorister. And she said, watching it was just like, and cause it was during the opening hymn. Right. So she's like watching it from the stand was a horrific experience. She's like, it was a train wreck because what I couldn't see is, is that my former husband and his new fiance were sitting in the pew that I was going to. Oh no. <laughs> So everybody's watching that's on the stand, right? And they're just like, right, don't do this, don't do this, right? And I'm just like, I'm late, I'm so embarrassed, I gotta get a pew. So I go up there and I stand, I stand at the pew and I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, we're not doing this. <laughs> like, look, <laughs> and my thankfully, my ministering sister who had six children of her own. She was in one of those short pews. I don't know how they did it. They squished so fast. And she just like, and sat me down there with my kids. And I'm like, okay, we're okay. And I just was like, I told the bishop afterwards, I am like, bishop, I can't keep doing this. Like, this isn't healthy for me. Like, yes. and, and it's not good for them too. And like, and the thing is, is that my former spouse and his, his um, fiance, who is now his wife, they're, they were active members of the church, right? Like they never stopped being active members. So like, like there's this, you know, it, it just was awkward. So I said, Bishop, I, my parents are in the same state. Can I please, please go to their ward? And he was like, yes. I think that's a great idea. Go to their ward. So I went to that ward for six months and it was wonderful. And unfortunately, my stake president at the time, I was like, can I move? Can I transfer my records? And he was like, no. Okay. So after six months of not holding a calling, which was the longest I'd ever gone without holding a calling in my life, I and I was healed enough. I'd worked enough. It had been by this point, we were looking at like nine months. It had been we had been divorced. And so I was like, OK, I'm going to I'm going to go back to the old ward so that I can be able to hold a calling. And that was hard, but I did it for, uh, you know, a couple months. And then thankfully we ended up moving. And so then I was in a different ward in the same stake, but I didn't have to be in that same space, but it was hard. It was really, oh my really gosh. hard. No, so my this... palms are sweaty thinking about you. Walking <laughs> <I know. laughs> right. And um, that was one of those things like, right. I had, a, I had choices again. I could have been really mad at that stake president. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I was actually really mad at him. <laughs> I'll be honest. That's an honest but, answer. We appreciate it. Yeah, I, I was absolutely upset with him because I just felt like you're not understanding the difficulty of this situation. You're not understanding the gravity of it. I don't know that this, if I, I have, I've talked to enough women now um, that I don't know that that same answer would be given today, right? Like if, if someone else were in my position in a stake and came to the stake president and said, can I please attend this other ward? Um, I think that that stake president would gladly move those records, you know, anything to, yes, please continue to go. We want you here in the church. So um, I think it was just the time and that I went. And so 
um, I was really thankful for that Bishop because that Bishop knew me and he knew my parents and, um, he did everything that he could to help me feel like I was a member of that ward. So I was assigned ministering sisters, even though I technically, my records weren't in that ward. I was asked to say opening prayers and closing prayers. I was asked to, um, substitute teach in Sunday school. And so, that bishop went out of his way to make sure that I had a reason to keep showing up. And, and I was really grateful for them. So. Well, I, I just want to underline bold italicize the example that you are of covenants over discomfort Yeah, and that keeping those covenants, those are essential. And I think sometimes we minimize the, ordinance and covenant of the sacrament because we do it every week and so it becomes familiar but we minimize that and you clearly did not and you understood the importance of that and that hey sometimes there's going to be a a very awkward situation now again in situations like this you always have to point out the exception there are exceptions to where yes this is causing me spiritual harm this is causing me physical or emotional danger okay that that's a corner case let's handle that as a one by one but the principle the foundation the standard is those covenants are so important and it's worth being uncomfortable so and especially if you think about it in these terms it was all that i had left yeah yeah everything else that i had built in my life had you know um burned. Like, I don't know how else to describe it, but it had burned to the ground. And so the only thing that I had was my covenantal relationship with my savior. So for me, then my covenants became of paramount importance because that was all that I had left. So then I had to take that as my foundation and rebuild my life from that, which when you do that and you partner with a savior, the outcome is, is a million times better. So, yes. Yes. Okay. So speaking of that, and and I I'm baiting you a little bit, but speaking of that, so you've you've learned these lessons. You go through a, a difficult divorce, but you've learned these lessons, and from now on, your life is just smooth sailing. It's just a constant Absolutely. increase. Nothing else ever goes wrong. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> really quick, I will share one other thing that I did that is just so unique. Um, and I share this in my book again, and I even have a copy. So, oh, you can't really oh, see it. Blurred it blurred out. Oh no. Yeah, it blurred out. Darn it. Okay. Well, well, what, what is on the cover of that book? No. Yeah. Geez. So this. It's the Provo, um, it's the Provo Tabernacle burning and then the Provo City Center Temple. Oh, so that's yes. Yes. So it's and it's called Beauty for Ashes, Divorce and the Latter-day Saint Woman. So I talk about how I was felt like this serviceable tabernacle, right? For many, many years, I had been faithful. I had done what the Lord had asked me to do. I'd fulfilled my callings the best that I could. I was a good mom. I was a good wife, all those things. And then it burned, right? And we didn't know if if we were going to keep that building. But then the prophet was like, we're going to keep it, but we're going to make it better. And the process that that building went through to become a temple is fascinating. And so I talk about this, that the temple um, or tabernacle becomes temple and this process and the um, similes between my own life and this experience that this building went through. So, um, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's, um, that's a big part of my book, but 
Um, the other thing I wanted to share too, that I think is unique, um, that I feel like really set me up, um, for having, um, just a deeper relationship with my savior and then being able to build from that was, um, after I went through my divorce, I decided to serve a mission, which sounds strange. Um, because how can you serve a mission and work and be, or, you know, be single and have children. So the way that I did this is, um, right after my divorce or actually at the very tail end of my divorce. So before I was even fully divorced, I had very well-meaning friends who were like, I can't wait to set you up. We're going to have so much fun. You're going to go out there, date. Well, we're going to find you a new Prince Charming, right? Like that was their, and their intention, they were very well-intentioned, right? But for me, it made me physically ill because I, I still was grieving the loss over my marriage. And, um, and that took me probably a good six months to really work through all the emotions and things like that. Um, and so I went to my counselor and I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to tell people like, please stop asking. Cause then, then they think I'm just being, um, demure and, Oh, you know, kind of yeah. shy about it. And anyway, so my, um, counselor was like, well, why don't you serve a mission? And I'm like, uh, kidding me. Hold on. <laughs> yeah. I have three children and I'm currently working two jobs just yeah. to make it. You review my, my case notes. Have, yes. How long have you been counseling? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, and I'm like, okay, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, you would keep a missionary schedule. Um, obviously you would uh, make time to work and you would also make time to keep, um, take care of your children and do everything that you need to. But he said, you would choose not to date during this time and you can make it last a year and a half. Um, just the same as sister missionaries. Sure. And I was like, ah, I love that idea. I'm going to do it. And so I did for a year and a half. I did not date and I, I kept a missionary schedule. So I got up, I had dedicated time to read my scriptures and say my prayers. And during this time, I would go to the temple sometimes three and four times a week, because that was something I could do. I only lived 20 minutes from the temple. And so, um, sometimes I'd get up like at four 30 in the morning and I would, um, get my kids ready for school. And I actually had, my oldest was 16. And so, you know, I could leave my kids for a couple of hours with him and they would be fine. And so, um, sometimes I would leave before they even woke up in the morning, I'd go to the temple, I'd come back, help them get ready for school, get them out the door to school, then go to my job. And then, you know, come home, we do homework and then I would do it all over again. And, um, yeah. And it was just, um, it, it helped me just to focus on my children and on myself and healing. Um, and I didn't have to worry about what anyone else was doing with their life or opinions or like, it, it just, it gave me that simplicity to focus. And then this is how wonderful and merciful the Lord is. He called sister missionaries to serve in my ward during this time. So then I got to do all these things with sister missionaries. So I would go with them to help team teach. I take them anywhere they needed to go. I'd make dinners for them. And we just, uh, I became really close with the sister missionaries and um, just had a great time. And that really helped me to, um, it, it, just to be able to come out of that. And then I was very focused in, okay, now I know what I want um, as far as in a future spouse. I don't know if I'm ever going to get that. Um, Mm -hmm. And in fact, I was a little, I was a little bit cynical that the guy, (laughs) the guy that I wanted existed. And so my, 
my counselor made me as a, you know, exercise, write down if I could have, you know, the wish of my heart, what would it be? So I, I wrote down the qualities that I wanted and then I folded it up and I put it in the envelope and tucked it away. And then I thought, you know what, the man that I want, um, he, he wouldn't be interested in, in who I am yet, but I could become that person. So I wrote a letter to myself who I wanted to become. And so then I, I took that to the Lord. And so I felt like he and I worked on that together. And so that happened over that year and a half. And, and then I'll tell you the fun way that I met my husband, because it'll yeah, kind yeah. of feed into what you were asking before. Um, but I, uh, I had a very good girlfriend, um, who was like, okay, well, it's been a year and a half you have been single long enough. It is time to go for a date. Time to give your homecoming talk. Yeah. (laughs) And so, um, she's like, there's a steak dance. It's a, it's a single adult (laughs) steak dance. You're going to love it. It's going to be so fun. And anyone who's been to a single adult dance is like dying right now because they actually know what they're really like. So she and I got ready, which was super fun. We got ready together because my kids were visiting their dad for the weekend. And, um, I, I can see it perfectly in my head. I wish that it, it would be a great movie scene. I'll just tell you. So like I'm walking up to the the chapel and I'm about to throw up because yes. it, I'm so stressed. And I'm just like, I'm, you know, almost 40 years old. How am I going to be able to, you know, no one's going to want to date me. Like that, that's just how I was feeling. Anyway, my friend very, uh, she actually took my hand and she's like, well, held my hand as she walked <laughs> before. And then we go into the gym, right? And um, and and the lights are on in the gym. And she and I are like standing there and we're looking all cute and ready to go, ready to dance, right? The lights are on and we're looking around and there's like maybe a handful of people there. And there is, most of them are over the age of um, 50. And, um, and, you know, when you're in your thirties, like dancing with 60 and 70 year olds is not really your, (laughs) it's just not what you were expecting. It was not what I was expecting. I was not what I was expecting. And then what made it even worse, Zach, is there was one guy that was my age and I was like, all right. And in my work, I had to introduce myself to a lot of people. So this was a space that I was comfortable in is introducing myself to strangers. Right. So I'm like, all right, well, this, this guy looks like he's in my age range. I'll go say hi and introduce myself. Right. So I go over, shake his hand. And like, I reach out to shake his hand and he's like, hi, like, Oh no. What? And I look at my friend and I'm like, what just happened? what just happened? She's like, I don't know. I'm like, we're leaving and we're going to get some ice cream because yes. <laughs> you oh. owe me ice cream. After. Oh, no. I didn't even dance with anyone. <laughs> oh, no. so Look, she... <laughs> on, on behalf of the male half of the species, I just want to apologize yes. for, that, for that steak dance. I'm sorry. That oh, it's was okay. horrible. It's a great story now. Right. And it totally led me to my husband because I got mad and I was like, dang it, this cannot be all the righteous (laughs) priesthood holders. We're going online. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So I told her, I said, look, I, I'm not blonde. Um, I'm gray now, but at the time I was a brunette, that's my natural hair color. Um, and I was like, I'm not a blonde. I need, I, and I'm not, I'm not from Utah. So I don't want to be on the, like, you know, the single or the, um, the usual, single uh-huh, uh-huh. 
there's a couple of really big ones. I can't think of them off the top of my head, but anyway, so I'm like, I need you to find me an obscure LDS single site. <laughs> and so she had some friends that were single in Utah and they were like, what's the newest site? Cause they're always popping up. Right. Yeah. Okay. So she, she got me on this one. And honestly, I could only pay for one month because that was all my salary would allow me, you know, like I had a yep. very tight budget. And so, um, I was on there for about three weeks and I went on a couple of dates and it wasn't, and I made a couple of friends, but it really wasn't anything. And I was very specific about what I wanted. Right. Like I, I, um, my first profile, I, <laughs> I should say my first profile, I did a little bit like a resume and I had a very good friend who was like, she looked at it and she goes, Noelle, that is not what it's supposed to be. Do it for real. <laughs> Do it for real. I read, I redid it. So then it wasn't so much like a resume. At, at some point in that I, profile, did you say, I'm a team player. I work well with others. <laughs> strong communicator. Kind of, <laughs> I know. Like I, I just did bullet points, right? Yes. Like, do, do, you know, so um, she's like, that doesn't even show who you are. You, you need to put in there who you are. And I was like, okay. All right. So I read, I redid it and I put pictures and stuff and, and, um, I really just, I was like, gosh, I'm not really finding anyone. And I remember going over to my mom's house and being like, I, I just think this is a, I, I don't think that, I think this is a long shot mom. I don't think I'm going to find anybody. And she said, Noelle, I'm, I'm so sorry. She's like, I, I can imagine that this is really, really hard for you. And I said, you know what? Here's the thing though, mom, I'm happy being single. I really am. So um, maybe, maybe it's okay. You know, that maybe I'm not going to find my, um, you know, another man and, and I'll be okay. And so anyway, she said, well, I'm going to pray for you. And the very next day, <laughs> This is my mom, her powerful prayers. <laughs> the next day, this guy popped up in my feed and, and I looked at his profile and I read his stuff and I read my things. And I was like, gosh, like we have a lot of things that we wrote in common things. Like we wanted to raise our children in a Christ-centered home that being um, temple worthy was, you know, non-negotiable for us. And, um, and also that we really loved board games and we loved the outdoors he lived in Washington state. So I was like, all right, I'm going to message this guy. And so I type, type, type. And I'm like, if I don't hear from him, the whole thing is a sham and I'm yes. out. <laughs> yes. So thankfully I heard from him. He messaged me back. I messaged him and like in 10 days, like we talked for 10 days on, on this website. And then my, um, my subscription was up. So I'm like, I'm getting off. And he's like, uh, let's keep talking. And so, um, we had a phone call and then, um, we talked and wrote old fashioned letters back and forth for a month. And then my husband and I met for our very first date and that was it for us. So anyway, uh -huh. that's, that's how we ended up meeting. So yeah. What a great story. Yeah. Yeah. And the the funny thing is I, I, oh. we do. And you know what, here's the really amazing thing on my wedding night, my husband gave me a gift and it was a journal. And he said, I want to keep writing letters to you, but we'll write them in this journal. So he and I have a journal that we have kept back and forth that we write letters to one another. So that yeah, is so a, cool. Yeah. It's become an important part of our marriage. So, yep. That is very cool. I yeah. cut you off. You were going to say something before. Oh, I don't remember. That's okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. So you get married. Um, you mentioned earlier that he has three kids also. So you have, you merge a family. That's in and yeah. of itself a very difficult thing or can be. 
Yes. Yes. Um, well, and my husband is a widower and mm -hmm. so his first wife passed away very unexpectedly. And so it was a, it was a difficult thing. And then he has, um, two. So between the two of us, we have five boys and one girl. Okay. You should not feel bad for the girl. She can totally hold her own. Yeah. She's <laughs> good. Good. <laughs> she rules the roost besides me. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So in our kids ages, we're really compatible. So I have, I have my oldest um, was 16. Oh, sorry. Yeah. He was 16. So we had two 16 year olds at the time. And then um, we had a 13 year old, two 11 year olds and a nine year old. So, okay. yep. So um, it, they all just kind of meshed in very well. It was difficult. Like I would say um, after the first month, he and I were like, what have we done? <laughs> and how is this? Like, it was, it was hard. It was extreme yeah. parenting. Like I have never felt stretched so hard. And um, unfortunately we also had the added complication of um, some legal logistics. Like uh, my former husband was a, um, not happy about me getting married, remarried and then moving. And so mm -hmm. there was a lot of legal things that, so actually for like our first, we went, we got sealed and I have to share, share this with you. When we, um, got sealed, our sealing was approved in six days. Whoa. Which, yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's very fast. That was amazing. It was a miracle. It was, it was straight up a miracle. And it was just when everything had started to become electronic and automated. Okay. So it was approved in six days and then it took, you know, two weeks for the letter that was sent out to be um, sent to us. But um, it was, we couldn't believe it, but yeah. So we got that approval very, very fast. And so we were able to be sealed and then I was in a rental and had to tie up that. So we were sealed and married and we went on our honeymoon. And when I came back, I had to pack up that house and then um, I had to finish going to court. Okay. Yes. <laughs> and then finally was given the approval to move. So then we moved my, um, you know, then my husband came and we, we packed everything up and we moved um, everybody over. So we kind of, we joke that like we weren't all living under the same roof until like mid July, even though we got married in June. So it, oh, there was wow. a little bit of, yeah, it was hard. So, and then you have really strong, different personalities and different um, dynamics of, even though my husband and I had talked really, really in depth about like um, discipline and just um, the things that we wanted to, to have in our home. And you, families develop their own, like I would say fabric or dynamic to each family. And so my family, my, my husband's family, I would say is very insular. They are, <clears throat> they are very close knit and, um, and very close to one another. And they are not like very open arms and, and, um, they're, they're just more insular. I think that's the best way to describe it. And then my family is very like open. Everything is, you know, very, very open. So you have very two strong, different, you know, yes. kind of almost incompatible in some ways. So we really quickly learned that in order to be successful in blending our households is a couple of things. Number one, we told our kids that they didn't need to love one another, which was kind of a shock for them. Um, but we sat down with them and we were like, we do not expect you to love one another. We love each other as husband and wife. And, um, 
And we understand that you might not be entirely happy with this circumstance, but um, we are going to do our best to help you to be able to get out the door and launch and create your own family. That's our goal. So our our goal as a couple is to help support you in launching you to help you create your own family and how you want that to look. And we feel like we can do that best together versus separately. And so, and we don't expect you to love one another and, um, and we don't even expect you to like each other. Like we even told them we don't expect you to like one another, but we do expect that you respect one another Mm -hmm. and that you, um, are kind to each other. And so by eliminating this, like, this is your new brother and this is your new sister and you must love them. Mm-hmm. It allowed those relationships, the opportunity to grow on their own volition, which was um, a beautiful thing. And, and then this was the awesome thing is it happened. Like all of our kids ended up loving one another and referring to each other as siblings and having pranks and silly things that they would do um, to one another. And, and it was, it was just awesome. And we, but we didn't expect it. Um, so that was the number one thing that we did. The other thing that we did is we kept our families, we kept our nuclear families. So my husband's nuclear family, my nuclear family, we continued to do things individually. And then we also had our blended family. So my husband would go and do things with his kids sometimes. And I would go and do things with my kids sometimes. And then we would also do things together as a family. So that helps them feel like, okay, we're still a family. We're still a unit because there had been so much trauma and change for both of our households, you know, with my kids having to have gone through the divorce and then my husband's family unexpectedly losing their mother. And we also, my husband and I were very upfront. I would say this is the third thing. We didn't try to replace roles. I was not going to replace their mother and my husband wasn't going to replace my children's father. And so um, by allowing those roles to exist and be honored, then there wasn't any of that um, inner competition, so to speak. So, um, or, or like, or maybe even like, I have to hold this territory or this ground. So yes, yes. Natural defiance and and digging in your heels. Right. Yeah. It seems to me that that's a great example of perhaps an unofficial theme of this conversation has been covenants and and getting into the deeper covenants. And that seems like a great example of um, not letting culture replace covenants, right? Because the, the, and culture, I want to be careful with that, but I'll say mainstream thinking Mainstream thinking yep. to me says you and your husband sit down with your new family and you say, we are family. We love each other. We have each yep. other's back and this is how it's going to work. And we don't want to hear anything other than that. All we want to hear in this house is I love you. That's it. It yeah. didn't work for you guys. Maybe that works no. for some families. <laughs> it would, so, it would totally work for some families. Yeah. And so I just, I love again that you have, dialed down to the core. What is essential? What is essential are the teachings of Jesus Christ and keeping my covenant, making and keeping covenants. Everything outside of that, Christ has given me the ability to shape and mold and receive personal inspiration. Here's what's going to work for my family. Now I've got this new husband, so I'm going to receive inspiration with him on how are we going to craft this thing? How's it going to work? And it does. And it doesn't matter what works for everybody else. What only matters is what works for you. 
Right. I love right. That. Yeah. Well, I think that that's what our prophet, right? Like he keeps telling us personal revelation. This is the most important thing that we can receive. And I think when we get into trouble within the church is when we, um, when we don't focus on the savior and we do kind of get caught up, like you, you said, let's be careful about culture. And I would say culture is like a two-sided coin, right? There's really, really fantastic and sure. wonderful things about being a member of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And it, it makes me value my membership right in this church. And I'm so grateful for it. But on the other side, there's things that, you know, that have seeped into our, maybe our beliefs or our common thinking. Right. Yeah. And, um, and we think that this is the way that it has to be done because this is the way that it's always been done. Right. But when we have that personal covenantal relationship with our savior, Jesus Christ, then we are able to receive revelation for our own lives, which then allows us to live our life more in alignment with the savior, which in turn aligns us more fully within the gospel. Yeah. But oftentimes I think that we almost do it backwards. Right. We think I'm going to live the gospel and then I'll become closer to the savior. Yeah. Which I think can work for some people. I mean, yeah. you know, sometimes um, you have to experiment upon the word. Yes. And and sometimes you experiment upon the word by going to, you know, as a teenager, by going to Wednesday night activities. Well, that's not a part of the gospel. That's a part of the culture. Right. But but that's done a lot of good for a lot of people. Yeah. So yeah. I think going back to what you said, um, is it bringing me closer to Christ? Yeah. That has to be the ultimate. And uh, you know, that's kind of what Moroni said is the ultimate measuring stick. Right. Does this bring me closer to Christ? If the answer is no, then it's optional. I mean, okay, maybe you can participate in it. Maybe it's, it's not good or bad. Okay. But right. it's, but don't hang your testimony on that. Don't build your testimony on that. Yes. That's exactly what it is. Don't build yeah. your testimony. Yeah. 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 Uh, this has been so inspirational. I, I feel like we could go on for another two and a half hours, but I, I want to be <laughs> respectful of your time. Um, I just, I so appreciate this. Um, you've kind of been doing it all throughout, but in closing, would you mind sharing your testimony with us? I keep saying yeah. us, yeah. Me, me and the listeners, but would you share your testimony with me? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Um, you know, um, my testimony is a sacred thing, right? Um, it's, and I have found that by sharing it out loud and, um, with others and bringing that light that it strengthens my testimony. And, um, I am, I'm so grateful to a loving heavenly father who allowed our savior, Jesus Christ to come to earth and to dwell and to experience life so that he can more fully succor the difficult and hard things that we have to go through. And I'm so grateful that my savior was willing to, to die and to also be resurrected. Um, recently I read a quote that how much joy he must've had in knowing and doing what he was doing because he knew what the end was. And I love to focus on the joy that the savior must've felt in doing that for each of us. Um, I know that the book of Mormon is true. Uh, I, I love reading from its words, um, and from its pages, and I'm grateful for the prophet Joseph Smith and the sacrifices that he has made. Um, to be able to bring that book to each of us and um, for the 
direction. It's, it, I feel like it's a modern day compass for me in, in today's world. Uh, I can't get through a day without reading it. Even if it's just one verse, I, I'm, I have it open and I'm reading it um, because it's become that important in my life. And I'm so grateful that um, my savior, that it's not enough for him just to have a relationship that he desires more than anything to have that covenantal relationship um, with me. And, and I'm so grateful for eternal families and for the plan of happiness. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.